Today on Off the Cup Declassified, I'm going to give you the infuriating story of a police officer in Philadelphia murdered in 2015 and how the far left district attorney of Philadelphia, Larry Krasner, is denying his family justice today. Ben Mattis, former law enforcement officer who lives in Philadelphia and who worked against this DA, joins me to go even deeper into the case. Did Obama's national security advisor, Susan Rice, give her cybersecurity people a stand-down order when dealing with Russia? We'll discuss and more tension between GOP members of Congress and the FBI. I'm going to tell you about a story, and it's a story you might remember from, oh, about three years ago that has a very, very recent twist and a terrible, terrible twist. Now, I don't know if you remember this. I certainly do, <clears throat> excuse me, all too vividly, because it was the murder of a Philadelphia police officer, a young one. He was 30 years old, beloved by the other cops, exceptional police officer, exceptional guy. His name was Robert Wilson. And he was a member of the Philadelphia Police Department. And Officer Wilson, Robert Wilson III was his. He was in a store buying a uh, video game, a GameStop store for his son. Son had done well in school. This was back in March of 2015, a little over three years ago. And while Officer Wilson was in that GameStop store, two absolute savages, a guy named Ramon Wilson and uh, Ramon Williams and a guy named Carlton Hips entered the store with the intention of robbing it. And uh, what Officer Wilson did next gives me chills. He was in uniform, took a break to go buy his son a video game. His partner was outside. When he saw that these guys were going to start robbing this store at gunpoint, he realized they had turned their weapons to him, seeing him as a uniformed police officer. He could have sought cover, but to do that, he would have had to move past the civilians waiting in line, putting their lives in danger if these guys started shooting. So instead, went the other way. He exposed himself, came out from behind cover, and absorbed the gunfire. He fired back. He absorbed the gunfire so that civilians that he was paid to protect wouldn't have to. He literally, he literally gave his life for the people of Philadelphia. Literally. We use that as a platitude. Police officers and firemen go out there and they would give their lives, and they would. But Sergeant, he was promoted posthumously to Sergeant. Sergeant Robert Wilson did one of the most heroic, courageous things I've ever seen. I get chills, see my arms on the camera, telling this story and reminiscing with some of the Philly PD guys I know about this. This is one of the most heroic things I've ever seen anybody do. It, it absolutely is. Now, it just so happens he was a young black officer, and his killers were black men. They're being treated better than he is. And the facts of the case are, as I said, it was uh, toward, toward the end of the day, and Wilson just went into this GameStop store for 5 p.m. just to buy his son a video game. His son had done well in school. He uh, wanted to buy him a game. He had two young sons. He had been on the job for eight years, much like me. He came on to the job in his very, very early 20s. He had eight years on the job. He was an experienced street cop, really young, young guy at 30 years old. Engage these two savages through their fire away from the innocents and took a bullet to the head and died. Luckily, his partner was outside. He uh, was able to exchange gunfire with the bad guys and uh, he uh, caught, they were caught. But uh, this entire story is very, very tragic. I 
at the time, the police commissioner of uh, Philadelphia, and Charles Ramsey said, and I, I couldn't agree with Commissioner Ramsey more, I was going three years ago, he said, quote, when you look at the actions of the officer, I think he redefines what a hero is all about. We use that word hero a lot. They're a hero, they're a hero. Sometimes it's warranted, sometimes it isn't. It might be too weak of a word to describe what Sergeant Wilson did here, what he did. He stepped out into a clear area to draw gunfire away from a few feet. He knew. He knew he was taking those bullets. He knew that it was impossible for these guys to miss. But protecting those innocent people was more important to him. He knew what he signed up for. He knew what the job was about. He did it. The commissioner went on to say, one, he stepped away from the counter. There was civilians there. And the commissioner had watched the videos. I counted four behind the counter, a couple in line. He stepped away so the shots weren't going directly at them, but instead were going toward him. It's a hard story for me to actually bring you. It's emotional. Uh, it just is. Wilson's partner, Damian Stevenson, I'm, I'm reading the fact pattern from a Daily News article. Back then, Wilson's partner, Damian Stevenson, encountered the suspects as they were fleeing the store, sparking yet another gunfight. His partner, Stevenson, Stevenson's shot Carlton Hips in the leg. Uh, they were both caught. Now, Williams, Ramon Williams, the, uh, one of the two savages, killed the cop, killed Sergeant Wilson, changed his clothes and went back into the store, tried to blend in as a customer. But by that point, the investigators, they had seen the video, they knew who he was, and they grabbed him at the scene. And, uh, you know, you hear so many stories about young black kids who don't have dads or they uh, are, are not doing well academically. They're just not on the right track. Here was a guy who had excelled in law enforcement, whose son was excelling in school, and he's buying him a video game. And he saved lives and took a bullet to the head. Apparently, that doesn't matter. Didn't matter that he was a role model in the black community. Didn't matter that. I, I even hate saying that. His race shouldn't matter, but it does for this story because of the way the bad guys are being treated. You know, black lives don't matter when they wear blue. They certainly don't, at least not to far-left Billy DA, Larry Krasner. Well, a few days ago, now, the fact pattern of the case as I gave it to you is exactly the fact pattern of the case. I didn't add anything for drama. I didn't add any hyperbole. I didn't exaggerate the details. I didn't try to make it seem worse than it was to make my point. Research it. Sergeant Robert Wilson, GameStop. Sergeant Robert Wilson murdered Philadelphia. Go out there, do a web search, read the case yourself. You'll see that I gave you the details antiseptically exactly as they happened. Yeah, he was that heroic. This murder was that cold-blooded. Well, a couple of days ago, a couple of days ago, Friday or Saturday, actually, maybe Thursday, far, far left, Far left, radical, Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner against, well, not even against the wishes of Sergeant Wilson's family. He never even consulted with them. In fact, the family says he's treated them like dirt. He cut a deal with the killers. Sergeant Wilson's family's infuriated. This from an NBC affiliate in Philadelphia. Let me read you this. I, and, I, and bear with me because... The story is an emotional story. Whenever a cop is killed, I, I had to respond to those. Um, tough, you know? 
The family of slain Philadelphia police sergeant Robert Wilson III got a call from the district attorney's office late Friday. This just happened. This just happened on Friday, four or five days ago. Late Friday, telling them that the men implicated in his murder will not stand trial or face the death penalty. Law enforcement sources are saying that Larry Krasner's office is allowing Ramon Williams and Carlton Hips, these savage, cold-blooded murderers, to accept between 50 life sentences plus 50 to 100 years in prison in exchange for guilty plea. Number one, they should get the death penalty. Number two, what this now allows is years upon years upon years of appeals and the chance that a far-left parole board will let them out of prison. Gibson Williams will formally accept the deal at Philadelphia's Criminal Justice Center. And that apparently happened yesterday morning. The deal was cut. I haven't seen any news, anything to indicate it wasn't. And I actually waited until today to do the story because I was hoping at the 11th hour, the pleas of the family would have mattered that maybe the district attorney in Philadelphia, Larry Krasner, would have had a common sense change of heart, but he didn't. And uh, when I checked in with some sources in Philly PD yesterday, they told me the deal went through. The DA's office uh, communications director, last comment from them was they had no pending comment. Uh, the, uh, The plea did not go over well with Sergeant Wilson's family. They feel justice isn't being served. His sister... Akira Wilson Burroughs said she was speechless when she got the call from the district attorney's office. She simply said they failed my brother. And she was right. Actually, Miss uh, Wilson Burroughs is far more dignified than I would have been. Far more dignified than I would have been. She's a, she's a class act. I, I certainly wouldn't have been that polite. Krasner is a, a, a terrible, terrible far-left guy. And many, many families, many families who uh, were the victims of murder, they lost somebody, feel that Krasner, I'm going to tell you all about Krasner and who backs him. And then uh, in a little bit, I'm going to bring on Ben Manish. You've seen Ben. He's a former uh, local and federal law enforcement officer, lives in Philadelphia, does a lot with law enforcement, a lot with politics. He actually was... Uh, uh, senior campaign staff of the Republican who ran against Larry Krasner for district attorney, but unfortunately lost. Uh, so Ben has some, some very deep insights into the Philadelphia district attorney's office, which are a, is really a story of national, essentially international. Because in just a second, I'm going to tell you who backed, who funded the Philly district attorney and why. But uh, Krasner uh, has pledged never to seek the death penalty for murders. Now, uh, Shakira Wilson Burroughs, Sergeant uh, Wilson's sister, said she was told the committee to uh, 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 determine the appropriate sentence in this case convened for two hours last week, but their family, uh, the Wilson family, uh, she's a Burroughs, she's married, family was never asked to even comment. They knew nothing about this. They were never called. They were never consulted. She said, quote, no one even got a statement from us to even present. Everything is hush-hush. It feels as though the district attorney's hand is covering their mouth. 
Now the Fraternal Order of Police President, uh, John McNesby, he said, this is a message to Philadelphia police officers. Be careful. You don't have the support from the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office. And uh, uh, Sergeant Wilson's grandmother, and uh, I've seen the family in press conferences, and these are good people. It's a good family. They had all the evidence for Robbie's trial. They had the gun. They had the murderers. They had the surveillance tapes. They had the store where they went in and killed him. All this they had. They were ready to go to trial no sooner than Krasner gets into office and things back up. Why? That's plain police officer now posthumously promoted to Sergeant Robert Wilson's grandmother. And he's 100% right. Connie Wilson is her name. His paternal grandmother on his dad. And, and, and Mrs. Wilson is, is 150% correct. Both women, Wilson's sister, Shakira Wilson Burroughs, and his grandmother, Connie Wilson, they had called for Krasner to step aside in this case. They knew he was rapidly far left. They knew he was going to go soft on crime. And see, this case is, is less about politics. This is an African-American family from Philadelphia. This is not a, a, a white family from the Deep South. And even they could see that this district attorney was way too soft on crime because their son, their grandson, their brother, a police officer, was, was murdered. And three years later, his family waited three years and three months for justice in this case. Three years and three months. He was gunned down early March of 2015, and this case resolved in June 2018. Three years and three months. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. Well, who is Larry Krasner? You know who funded Larry Krasner's run for DA? And, and Ben Manis, when he joins me in a bit, is going to be able to tell us so much more. Larry Krasner's run for district attorney was funded by George Soros. $2 million in contributions from various... PACs, family members, associates, and hard money from George Soros. And when he was elected, when Krasner was elected, and this is a story from the Free Beacon from back in January of this year, when Krasner took office. Democrat Larry Krasner, Philadelphia's new district attorney, who was backed almost exclusively by nearly $2 million in contributions from liberal billionaire George Soros has purged more than 30 prosecutors from the district attorney's office within days of taking over the position. Krasner, who was sworn in on January 2nd, asked 31 prosecutors to resign on his fourth day on the job and has given no explanation for the requests. A list of those who were purged from the office shows that a number of them came from the Homicide Division, Drug Enforcement, and Civil Asset forfeiture unit. These terminations have stalled cases where one judge on Monday criticized the office after they asked a murder trial be postponed due to the assistant attorney general being one of the dozens of people let go by Krasner. Incredible. Now, Krasner, before he was elected, was a far, far left defense lawyer. Rapidly far left. Bad, bad. I mean, made the ACLU and the Southern Poverty Law Center look conservative. He resented groups like Occupy Wall Street and Black Lives Matter. He had sued the police department more than 75 times 
and joked that he had built a career that made him completely unelectable. He hates the police, and now he runs it. This is uh, really, really <clears throat> just terrible. Now, Beth Grossman was his Republican uh, uh, challenger, his Republican opponent. That's who our friend Ben Manis worked for. Ben's going to tell us all about this race when he joins me in uh, <clears throat> just a few minutes. But uh, uh, Beth Grossman at the time told the Free Beacon, quote, I have concerns. If he gets elected, my opponent, my opponent, I don't want us to turn into a Baltimore. I don't want us to turn into a Chicago. It's really disturbing. We have one of the finest public defender's offices in the country. We don't need two. In other words, saying that if he becomes the district attorney, he would turn the DA's office into a safe haven that coddled and protected criminals. But he beat her in the election for district attorney by more than 40%. When I say he runs the police department, well, the commissioner and the mayor really run the police department. But if the district attorney's office isn't going to prosecute cases, then the police aren't going to arrest for those cases. So the district attorney has a lot of influence over how police police. A tremendous amount in a city like Philly where it's an elected DA. Yeah. Now, Soros is pumping money into DA's races around the country. He wants civil unrest in this country. He wants things like no cash bail, light sentences for violent offenders. George Soros is an arbitrage guy. He makes money when the U.S. is destabilized and the dollar is weak. This is a terrible, terrible, sinister man. Terrible, terrible guy. And uh, he's uh, pumping money into DA races in Florida, Ohio, Illinois, Texas, Louisiana, New Mexico, and Mississippi, among others. Florida and Ohio, the two most significant swing states in the U.S., and Pennsylvania, the third, where he pumped money into its largest cities, DA race. Soros has a plan to destabilize the swing states, to get felons out of prison and give them the, restore their rights to vote. He wants this country blue. He wants civil unrest in the U.S. We're going to do a whole segment on that. But this case is about the lack of justice for the family of Sergeant Robert Wilson. They waited three years and three months. They got no justice. I'm going to bring on Ben Madison a little bit. Like I said, he's going to tell us all about Krasner. He's going to tell us all about what he's done to the city and how and why he won being so far left, hating good working people, good decent people, and loving and coddling thugs and criminals. I'll tell you one thing. Family of Sergeant Robert Wilson deserved better. Memory of Sergeant Robert Wilson deserved better. The men and women of the Philadelphia Police Department. His brothers and sisters deserved better. And Sergeant Robert Wilson, he deserved justice. He deserved much, much better. In the last segment, I brought you the case of police officer Robert Wilson in Philadelphia, posthumously promoted to sergeant after he was gunned down in cold blood by two savages, shot in the head, doing one of the most heroic things I'd ever heard of in law enforcement, exposing himself to gunfire to pull the barrels of those criminals' guns away from innocent people behind the counter and online at that GameStop store. He took those bullets, stick one in the head, killing him. He left behind two young sons. Well, Philadelphia DA Larry Krasner, as I mentioned earlier on the show, doesn't seem to care much about justice for police officers. He sued the Philadelphia Police Department 75 times as a far-left defense attorney. Mm -hmm. I want to bring in Ben Mattis, good friend of ours. You've seen him on the show. 
former uh, local and federal law enforcement officer. More importantly, in this case, Ben had a front row seat with regards to the Krasner election because he worked with Krasner's opponent, Beth Grossman, trying to get her elected. That's he right. had warned me about Larry Krasner for months. He warned many people. Unfortunately, voters in Philadelphia didn't listen. Ben, thanks for being here. Infuriating case, infuriating case. I went through the case, the fact pattern, what Krasner is now doing. He, he basically offered these two savage murderers a plea behind the back of the Wilson family. Wilson's grandmother, Connie Wilson, his sister, Akira Wilson Burroughs, they're infuriated. They were never even consulted. I've seen other reports that said Krasner was downright hostile to them. What the hell is going on in Philadelphia? Well, Krasner himself is a hostile and arrogant person, which is evident by the fact that he has harassed former DAs that are brought back to prep current DAs for cases that they were yanked off of when he fired 31 career prosecutors in his first week there. Now, this is in a city with the highest crime rate of any major city in America. So we need all the bodies we could get. And he went and fired 31 people and the office ran short until he could replace them with his own puppets. But let's talk specifically about Sergeant Wilson. Sergeant Wilson is the the epitome of heroism, not just in how he died, but how he lived. We're talking about an African-American man who grew up on the rough streets of Philadelphia, who took the test, became a police officer and was only in the line of fire that day because while raising two great kids, he was buying a game on his lunch hour uh, because his kid got a good grade in school and he was rewarding him by getting him the game he wanted at GameStop when he interrupted the robbery yeah, and progress. You know, Ben, it gives me chills. The story gives me chills. It, it is so tragic. He, he, you know, you say you lost one of the good ones. We lost one of the good ones here. One of the best ones. Yeah. And uh, that's why Commissioner Ross possibly promoted him to sergeant after he died. But let's let's get into the fact that, you know, one correction on what you were saying, not only had they been double dealing uh, with these criminals behind the back of the family once, but twice this happened back in March to incredibly negative fanfare and media coverage. The family went around their back and tried to give them a plea bargain. Uh, And now they're giving them the plea bargain, which is life in prison without uh, it's like 50 consecutive. It was like life and then 50 to 100 years on top. They're not looking at getting out of of greater for prison anytime soon. The point of the fact is they did all this without once consulting the family. That's right. And they took death off the table immediately. Now, let's be I have unless I miss something, Mm -hmm. I haven't seen parole 35 years down the road taken off the table. It, it, it wasn't mentioned. They, they, they think because the numbers are so daunting that they don't need to mention it. But you're right. It is something that needs to be mentioned yep. and needs to be included. And it isn't. Now, can I state a couple of facts? Please. One, Pennsylvania, even though uh, in prior district attorney administrations had quite a few death penalty cases, almost certainly every officer involved murder was a death penalty case in Pennsylvania. Now, Pennsylvania hasn't actually used the death penalty, even for those who were sentenced on it. Great example would be Mumi Abdul-Jamal, who still sits in a luxurious cell after killing Danny Faulkner in 1981. Right. The problem is- But it's symbolic. At least it says to the family, the life mattered. We're not cutting deals behind your back. It not only says the life mattered, what it does is it gives you the instant bargaining chip of- Right. We could make it life without parole if or you death. want to live. Right. 
they're instantly taking that off. Now, a couple of things that need to be mentioned. One, Krasner, you know, I've been no fan of him. You did state the disclosure I had to. I was policy advisor for Beth Grossman in her right. DA run against him. But Krasner has been riddled with ethics and corruption issues since joining, and he's only been in since January. Let's get into a couple of those. Yeah, First, no, I did not, now, I didn't know this. So you're saying since he's been inaugurated in January this year, six months yeah. ago, he's had ethics and corruption uh, uh, scandals? Well, let me let me get or into al the allegation. You know what? Go, let's go get into, into the, the worst yeah. Yeah. worst conflict of interest. Right. The defense counsel to the two murderers of Officer Wilson. And this is something that automatically should have went to the mat because they have video. They have the fact that these guys were caught red handed in a standoff. They have the weapons. This is a walk. This look, is not look, something Will, that you Wilson's, down. Wilson's grandmother said that they've got yeah. the weapons. They've got the witnesses. They've got the video. They were caught I mean, after a shootout. Caught after a shootout. The partner. The partner shot Carlton Hips in the leg. They've got, this is a smoking gun case in every sense of the word. Yeah, this is, there's really no reason to plead this at all other at than all. the expediency and the manpower. Right. But let's even think if that's your overall interest, you really care that much about it. How about the fact that Michael Cord, the defense counsel for the two suspects involved, the two defendants, was on Krasner's transition team. He was a paid member of the Krasner campaign wow. and transition team. Wow, wow. Even after the inauguration. You're not, you're not seeing, seeing that in the media. media. No, you're not, no one, well, they, you know, they're mentioning it in local media here. Um, how about this? Krasner from his campaign to date has stated his moral and personal obligation never to seek the death penalty. That again. I mentioned in the previous segment. I did see that. I might've glanced over the information about Cord, but wow. Yeah, I did so, see that so he said he aside, would never invoke it. Yeah. So let's put aside what we know about Larry Krasner. We know from his campaign is he's never been a prosecutor. He was a defense counsel. Sure, he had small pro bono practices for Black Lives Matter. And, and, and very important, Ben, not to cut you off, who almost exclusively funded him to the tune of two million bucks? It was 1.3 million and it was George Soros. But I'm getting there because this is a very, very important distinction. Um, he really was not qualified for this job. He somehow merged because Soros funded him, um, which, by the way, is is arguably a campaign finance issue. Because yeah, I, I'm trying to figure out how you get those max donations on 1.3 million with those low maxes. I'm, I'm still trying yeah, well, to work a, that a math out. Personal donation, not a PAC donation in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, is uh, three to five thousand dollars. Right, right. So where are you getting? you know, a million three, but well, let's leave that out of it. If that's I not was, enough. I was doing, I'm glad you brought that up because I was doing that math in my head as I was prepping for the segments and it doesn't seem to work. It just simply doesn't seem to work. So other than the fact that Krasner was a pro bono, you know, once in a while protest lawyer. And you know, when people arrested at protests, it's usually something like, you know, uh, protesting without a permit yeah, or disorderly, disorderly conduct. It's minor it's stuff. A, yeah, it's yeah, never, yeah. it's never a big case. His bread and butter, what actually paid his salary was major defense work. And when I'm talking about major, he actually advertised on his website that he had a child pornography defense practice Jesus, for people yeah. soliciting and grooming people online. He so ben, also ben, had- ben, 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 I want to go there, but, but how did this guy with zero experience manage to unseat, what was it, seven primary opponents? Yeah. So he did it through a mass $1.3 million for a short race like the district attorney's office. It was office. a long way. 
goes a long way. When you add that to the seven to one voter advantage that the, the Democrats have to Republicans in the city of Philadelphia, he didn't even need the 26,000 union turnovers that but I, went But I'm, I'm talking Grossman about, the, the, I, get, I get how he won the primary against Grossman. How did he, the, the, the general against Grossman, how did he win the primary? It was a seven way primary and the vote was split so many different ways that the guy with the TV time emerged the winner. There and he had the money for TV time. And let's not make a, you know, a, a sort of thing about Philadelphia. New York and L.A. are the only places with media money as expensive as Philadelphia because right. you're also covering Trenton, Allentown, Atlantic City and Wilmington yeah. through the same channels. So it's a very expensive media market. And he managed to get commercials on every news break. But, so there was no other Dem that had a couple of bucks that had the donor base. He really not, that not a billion away. three in one donor. No, yeah, yeah, not at all. Not for a civic election. He broke all the rules. Plus, when we did the postmortem, most of the people, if we looked at the wards, they had a 238 percent uptick in Northern Liberties and 150 percent uptick in University City. And what that was, was him registering people who normally were never registered in Philadelphia because they were college students, transplant tech workers, people who always kept their driver's license in their so home. This, this whole thing is dirty, but he did. But but in the, yeah. at the end of the day, he had money and he had a pretty robust ground game. Terribly. Yeah. But let's look at the parallels. So, you know, we talked about him firing 31 people. We talked about the fact I'm not sure we talked about the fact that his wife is a sitting Pennsylvania judge, which no. may or may not be a conflict of interest. Um, let's really get into the fact that the things he's been doing, he's been, you know, really dropping charges on a myriad of things. A couple of weeks ago, you and me on this very show talked about drugs and the issue with encampments here in Philadelphia. Well, he's the guy who made the encampments mat metastasize like a cancer onto the city because he basically told the police department, I'm not charging mere possession anymore. So if people are basically walking around with heroin in these encampments, the cops know they, they, they're basically uh, pissing in the wind if they bring that collar in. And it's just not getting done anymore. How do we fix this issue? This man needs to be recalled. Uh, I am basically going to parallel this to a situation you have in your home state of Florida. Yeah, we had do it up, you, up north a little bit, yep. Yeah, well, do you know the name Aramis Ayala? Yeah, no? she's the DA, uh, this is the uh, Northern Florida case, mid-Florida. Yeah, she, she was the state's attorney in Orlando. Right, Orange, and, County, Orange County, yeah. Yeah, Orange County, so it's, it's the two-county region of Orlando. And she, just like uh, Krasner, got $623,000 from George Soros, right. from a PAC, to beat all of her opponents. And she walked in, only. she only had 13 years in legal practice, most of which was the public defender's office. Far left, she was the same, it was the same nonsense, and she did the same thing, refused to invoke the death penalty. The governor had to step in and remove her. Yeah, but that's the difference between Florida and Pennsylvania. So I am imploring and hoping that this video gets viral enough that you know some of the Pennsylvania voters will engage their state representatives, like State Representative Martina White, who is a very good friend of the FOP and represents Northeast Philly, to start creating legislation to put checks and balances in place for local elected officials who derelict their duty. Remember something, a prosecutor, whether it's Ayala in Florida or Krasner in Philadelphia, can't create the law. They have to interpret and enforce the law. Both of them coming out and saying, I won't seek a particular penalty within the guidelines of a particular crime because of their personal values is 
a violation of their oath of office. Well, but down here with Ayala, the governor, Rick Scott, stepped in, issued an executive yep. order and removed her from the case. That's a great template for how our law should change in Pennsylvania yeah. and wherever else these viewers are watching that may not have this. And it's not just for the DA. We have a mayor in Allentown who just went into federal jail, federal prison, right? But for the entire year and a half, he was under federal indictment for multiple counts of corruption. He was allowed to stay in office because Pennsylvania doesn't have a statute like Florida does, where in a similar case in Aventura, Rick Scott was able to immediately remove that mayor who was under corruption indictments. Oh, yeah, we've seen it here multiple times. The process in Florida is pretty straightforward, actually, Ben. When when there's an elected official and there's a hint of wrongdoing, the, the mayor, the governor can issue an executive order. And so here's what happens. Say you've got a mayor, but the mayor knew the state attorney in Miami-Dade County and the state attorney in Aventura. And the state attorney right. in Miami-Dade County would say, you know what? I came up politically with this guy. The governor does what's called an assignment, basically puts out a notice to other elected state attorneys from the various counties and says, hey, who wants the case? One of them will take it. They finish their investigation alongside, typically it's the Florida Department of Law Enforcement. The governor mm -hmm. gets it if there are criminal charges or they find malfeasance, misfeasance, and recommend removal, the governor can immediately suspend and the state Senate can immediately move to impeach. It's right. a pretty efficient removal process here. And that's the problem. We just don't have that right. in places like New York and Philly. And if you think there's, you know, this is a minor issue of political and social justice that we're dealing with right now, you know, Pennsylvania's had 17 public officials indicted within the last five years. It is by far, wow. Wow. The most metric, if you just follow the metrics, Pennsylvania is the most corrupt jurisdiction in America right now. So Ben, let's so, go because we're running out of time. Give me the, the list of, so we've got Krasner and Cord, the defense attorney for the guys that killed Wilson. Cord mm -hmm. was on his transition team. Krasner's wife is a judge. Anything else? Uh, let's see. Krasner came up, uh, you know, in the Democratic Party with support from John Doherty, local 98 union boss who's under federal investigation. He's had a target letter served on him. Wow. He serves in a administration with Councilman Bobby Heenum, who's also part of the same target letter investigation with that union. Uh, what, what, he, he's excused a city school teacher. He dropped the charges of him for spitting in a cop's face during a campaign slash anti-Rizzo rally for Krasner. You know, so he was charged before Krasner was sworn in and Krasner's first duty was letting his buddy off. So basically there's a lot of smoke around this guy and anybody with common sense knows there's some fire smoldering under the smoke. Absolutely. Look, he leads with his social beliefs before his duties and has a dangerously chilling effect on the citizens of Philadelphia who are dealing with an unprecedented level of, of crime. I mean, we're up to three, we had 310 murders at the end of last year. We're, you know, we're up to 142 this year so far, yeah. uh, 1,200 opioid deaths. I mean, we are of all what's, the major, the over 1 million cities, the worst in the country ben, right now. What's the population of Philly right now? 1.536 million. Okay, so New York is 8 million. So you're about six times the size of New York with the same amount of actual murders. So arguably a murder rate six times that in New York. Not as bad as Baltimore, which is 15 times, but considerable. Yeah, and the, and the difference between Baltimore and Philadelphia is Philadelphia is the only city of the first class in Pennsylvania. So Philly actually through its home rule charter figures out a way to make the sheriff a eunuch and there are no constables elected here like every other county in the yeah, city. Yeah. So where Baltimore has Baltimore and the state's attorneys, 
you know, who are elected but have oversight from Annapolis. We don't. We are literally on an island of corruption. And the only thing that could solve it is either a, a billionaire. And I think we uh, had some technical problems with Ben, which is okay. We got to the meat of the segment. I was going to be saying goodbye to Ben shortly anyway. But uh, I want to thank him for coming on the show. It was actually great information, a great segment. I'm going to bring him back on to follow this case. It is an absolutely tragic case, and you can bet your bottom dollar. We're going to stay on top of it. So thanks to Ben Manis. A little bit of a technical issue there, but we'll have him soon. As if things couldn't get any weirder concerning Obamagate, Spygate, Trump-Russia collusion, call it whatever you will at this point. We're now finding out, really good story out of the Daily Caller from a few days back, Obama's cyber chief, Obama's cyber chief testified that Susan Rice gave a stand-down order in response to Russian meddling. Why would she do that? Now, this went down last Wednesday, all right, last Wednesday, from the Daily Caller, former President Barack Obama's cybersecurity czar confirmed Wednesday that former National Security Advisor Susan Rice told him to stand down in response to Russian cyber attacks during the 2016 presidential campaign. The guy's name is Michael Daniel. His official title was his official title was cybersecurity coordinator, and he confirmed the stand down order during an SSCI, a Senate Select Committee on Intelligence hearing. I held a review Obama and Donald Trump's administration's policy response to election uh, interference by Russia. Now, this is uh, just incredible. Incredible. So here is the alleged exchange between this guy, Michael Daniel, and Rice. Rice opposed the proposals. Don't get ahead of us, he told. And this is all from a book called Russian Roulette by Michael Isakoff and David Korn. And they allege, they're not conservative guys, that Daniel was developing strategies to respond to Russian cyber attacks on U.S. companies and political campaigns. He proposed using what's known as DDoS, dedicated denial of service attacks, to take down Russian propaganda news sites and to attack Russian intelligence services. In other words, we were going to hack them. We were going to hit them with DDoS attacks, crashing their sites. Pretty common tactic. Nations do it to one another if you're not familiar. Another idea was to announce a bogus cyber exercise against a Eurasian country. The goal was to put the Kremlin on notice that its infrastructure could easily be targeted by the U.S. But according to the book, Susan Rice opposed. He said, quote, don't get ahead of us, end quote. He told Daniel in a meeting in August 2016, Daniel informed his staff of the order much to their frustration. I was incredulous, quote, I was incredulous and in disbelief that Daniel Prieto, who worked under Michael Daniel, and this is a little confusing with the name, but got Daniel Prieto and Michael Daniel, Michael Daniel being the boss, the cybersecurity coordinator. Why the hell are we standing down? Michael, can you help us understand? This guy Prieto asked. And uh, you were told uh, nobody knows. So Senator Jim Risch asked Michael Daniel, Obama's former cybersecurity coordinator, you were told to stand down? That is an accurate rendering of the conversation of that staff meeting is what he testified. So he was asked by Senator Jim Risch, you were told to stand down. And he basically said, yes, that that is an accurate rendering of the conversation at the staff meeting. 
Those actions were put on the back burner. Yes, he told the senator. That was not the focus of our activity during that time period. He noted that the White House cybersecurity team did continue working to respond to Russia, but with a smaller staff and less aggressive approach. He said, quote, it's not accurate to say that all activity ceased at that point. Declining to describe the activities that did go on in an unclassified setting or hearing. Now, why would Susan Rice, why would Susan Rice, Obama's national security advisor, want to allow Russia to keep on using active measures against us in the cyber world? Could it be because she knew, again, speculation, trying to be conspiratorial, but she knew they needed Russian meddling because that was, remember what Peter Stroke said, excuse me, remember what James Comey said? They had an insurance policy. Was this part of that insurance policy against Trump? Was Robert Mueller part of that insurance policy? It gets interesting, right? It's really, really interesting. You know, why would the national security advisor tell the cybersecurity coordinator to stand down from using very common, proven, and effective tactics against Russia? We know that the Obama administration knew back in 2015 of Russian meddling. Now, remember, <clears throat> the only alleged evidence, real evidence of any kind of hack was that the DNC server was hacked. But no federal agency's ever been able to look at that server. The only entity that was ever able to look at that server was CrowdStrike, a company run by a former FBI agent who was close to Comey and McCabe, a company funded directly or via the contacts of Tim Geithner, Obama's former Treasury Secretary, who sat on the Committee for Foreign Investment in the U.S. alongside Hillary Clinton when the Uranium One deal was approved. Okay. He was one of the financiers. And Eric Schmidt, former CEO of Google, now chairman of Alphabet, the parent company of Google, somebody very close to Hillary, somebody who considered himself Hillary campaign staff. They were the two guys who almost entirely funded CrowdStrike, whether the money, their own money, money through the investment banks or investment funds they ran or with people they're closely aligned with. They were the gatekeepers for that outside money as well. So in common terms, They were the financiers. They controlled CrowdStrike alongside the FBI agents within who were very close to Comey and McCabe. And that was the only entity that was ever allowed to see that server. Now, doesn't that seem bizarre to you? The FBI never went and grabbed that server. They took Paul Manafort's door at 530 in the morning for 12-year-old financial crimes. But the, the Democratic National Committee was allegedly hacked by Russia that at the time was trying to help Donald Trump and the FBI and Department of Justice never demanded to see the server. Who believes that? On what planet is that acceptable? I've never heard of anything that ridiculous in my life in terms of chain of evidence, chain of custody. Never, 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 never. Never heard of it. It's unheard of. So you have to ask yourself then why Susan Rice would give a stand down order. And when you look at all of the other evidence and the talk of insurance policies and using spies against the Trump campaign and using tactics that seem designed to entrap people like Carter Page and George Papadopoulos and General Flynn, and when they couldn't do that, 
jam him up on false statements in the cases of Flynn and Papadopoulos. It sure seems like Susan Rice had an alternate agenda, doesn't it? And the question that should be investigated, but I'm not sure it ever will, is was this just one more clause in that insurance policy against Donald Trump being elected? And if he did manage to win, which at the time nobody thought possible, was this one more clause in that insurance policy that would oust him from office? 